Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the love of Jesus. It's love that will get you through. And uh, we are going to talk today about a book, uh, well, a passage from a book of Philemon. Philemon is before the book of Hebrews. It's after the book of Titus. So uh, we're going to look at a passage there. And we're going to talk about triumphant faith. Do you feel like your faith is triumphant? Do you want it to be triumphant? And we're going to get a key here to how to be expressing a faith triumphantly, to communicate your faith triumphantly. And I'm not talking about just how do I talk about the gospel. I'm talking about a general communication, something that comes forth from you, like we talked about the aroma of those being led by Christ. We talked about that last week, and we'll review a little. But I wanted to mention that as disciples, uh, we, we are followers of Christ. If you have given your life to Jesus and said, you are my Lord now, it's not me, I'm not the manager, I'm not the keeper, I, I yield it all to you, Lord, then that makes you a different person. Something happens, you become born again, the Spirit of God comes inside you, and you have a new life, you have a new path, you have new desires, something that you didn't actually turn yourself around with. You didn't change your heart, but God changes your heart. And as we grow as disciples, that just, that just continues and increases. So you start off loving the Lord and thanking the Lord for the deep love of Jesus that we sang about, that he died for your sins, that you're forgiven and you're free, and you don't have to be entangled in the bondage of the past. And you walk in this, and then that's, this is where a lot of people in the church, they stop, they just say, okay, good. And then, well, I didn't read my Bible today, it's hard to be a Christian, it's, it's difficult at work, and all this. And it's just, uh, it stops with that. And as a disciple, we're to keep going, we keep moving forward. So we talked about that last week. We, we are... We said, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And if you are being led by Jesus, that means you are moving forward. You are following. It doesn't mean that every step of the way is full of triumph and glory. It's not. But you are always, always being led in triumph. Triumph is always in process. Victory is your theme. You're not, woe is me and I'll never make it. It's Thanks be to God who always leads me in triumph in Christ and makes manifest the fragrance of his knowledge through us in every place. And that's the verse we're standing on for this church, and I'm standing on it for the church in general out there. We're going to win. We've read the book of Revelation. It's not good for the wicked. It's good for the church. And even though it looks like things are against us, things are grim, thanks be to God he always leads us in triumph. But now we didn't talk so much about the next verse there which was uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. It says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? And so now this is what I was talking about, your communication of your faith. You are either the aroma of death leading to death or the aroma of life leading to life. It is, is what is being expressed, what is coming forth from your faith walk, from your love walk with Jesus. 
is anything coming forth? And, you know, in China, when I was uh, working with students in English teaching, and I worked with them in, in Bible colleges, underground Bible colleges, and a lot of times I heard more than once, uh, one of the students would say, I wish I had your faith. Your faith is big. My faith is so small. And uh, I thought about that and thought, wait a second, no, that's not right. Their faith, we have the same faith. You have been given like precious faith. It says that First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, to those who have like precious faith. We have been given the measure of faith, Paul wrote in Romans 12. So it's not that I have big faith and you have small faith or he or she has bigger faith than me and I need to get my faith up to this. We have the faith, the gift of God, the faith of the Son of God. Paul said that I've been crucified with Christ and I live, yet not I, but I live by faith in the Son of God, the faith of the Son of God. So it's not the size of your faith. It's the communication of your faith. It's making that faith effectual. And so how do you ensure that you can be uh, giving off this fragrance of life that Paul wrote about in that passage we just read? And who is sufficient? It's so hard to be a Christian, right? Some people struggle. It's just, I, I can't do it. Of course you can't do it. It's really impossible. But that's where the power of the gospel comes in. You're not left to your own devices. And it's not by works. It's by faith. And when you receive Jesus, you don't, you, you don't go about how good you can get or what you can do, but what good Christ has got for you and what he has done. That is the whole gist of the gospel. And we can ensure that we are giving off a good communication of our faith when we give up and say, it's not by works, but by grace. It's the gift of God, not that anyone can boast. It's the work of Jesus. So, you know, I'm saying this and say, yeah, yeah, it's right, but it's something that you have to get your mind wrapped around and say, it's not me after all. And God has given me a Savior, and not just a Savior in which I'm free to go to heaven because I'm forgiven, but he's given me his very life, which we're going to celebrate in communion today. He's obeyed on my behalf. He shed his blood for my forgiveness. He's obeyed for my righteousness. It's not my righteousness anymore. But we beat ourselves up and say, oh, I messed up again. I messed up again. We're basing our relationship with God on how well we're doing or how well we're not doing. And that's not the gospel faith. That's, that's the works-oriented faith. So how can we ensure that we're fragrant? Well, in Philemon, we have an example in the person of Philemon. The book of Philemon was written uh, because Paul converted Onesimus, a slave, while he was in jail, and he was encouraging Philemon to receive his slave back as a brother. But there's really some instructive verses here in the first few verses on being a fragrance and aroma of Christ in a world that's stinking. In verse 4, we're going to read verses 4 through 7. You'll notice Philemon is a one-chapter book. So uh, the, on the screen it says chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. But it's really just Philemon 4, and we're going to go through 7. So verse 4 says, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. Okay, right there, let's stop. That's verse 4. Paul was thankful for Philemon. And this is a model for us. We want people to be thankful for us, do we not? It's always good if you are a source for others giving of thanks 
and not a source for others pleading with God. Oh, God, do something about this person. Do something with them. Please, please. No, it's better to be a source for them giving thanks. And we can be. You say, well, I've messed up too much. I've, I've hurt others and I've destroyed relationships. Okay, maybe you have, but under the blood that's all been washed and clean in God's sight. Maybe not in the people you've hurt sight. Maybe not. But that doesn't mean from this day forward you can become an object, a source for that person's giving of thanks. It's a matter of your intention, your deliberation. What are you purposing? Do you want to leave a legacy? I would hate to leave a legacy behind of, well, I'm glad that person's gone or indifference. I want people to miss me when I'm gone, right? And we're coming close to the Christmas season. You all know the story of Scrooge and the Christmas Carol and how everybody was going to be happy when that man went, but he got a vision for the future. The angels showed him the future and showed him his grave and nobody cared and they all were celebrating because he's gone. And it changed him. He said, I got to do something about this. I can't do anything about how righteous I am except I can start to follow Christ. And he leads me in triumph. It's not me doing it, but if I follow him, it's his power, it's his work that's going to come in, and he's going to change me. So if you can be purposeful, people can be thankful. And that's a model. The Christian ought to be someone who your neighbor is thankful for. And we see a lot of hypocrisy out there, a lot of problems in the church. You can read church history, and we're not thankful for a lot of the blots and blemishes in church history. But you know what? The, the tares grow with the wheat. We can purpose ourselves saying, I don't care what happened with those people or this person or this bad example. I'm going to purpose to be a good example. I want people to be thankful for me. So verse 5 says, he's thankful for him, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. So why was he thankful? Because he heard, he heard of his love and faith toward all the saints and towards the Lord Jesus. He heard something. That means that Philemon had communicated something. He had expressed something. Now, it doesn't mean that Philemon gave a treatise on, here is my faith, and I want you to know know that I believe. I'm, I'm hoping that he was vocal, and we ought to be vocal about our faith. If it's really important to us, if we love the Lord, it's going to come out of our mouths. But I don't believe... Paul was talking about hearing his treatise on faith or his gospel presentation. It was hearing about his actions, love and faith. Love and faith. Keep those two words in mind. Love and faith is the gist of the Christian life. Not, I got to do better. Not, woe is me, I'm just a horrible rat. Thank you, God, you tolerate me anyway. No, it's love and faith. Love and faith is the gasoline and oil that will fuel your engine. If you think it's hard to live the Christian life, pour a little more love and faith in the engine and you will find it a lot more powerful, a lot more empowering, a lot easier to follow. And it's hard to do that because the world is offering counterfeit forms of love and faith. They have a different version of love and faith. The world's love is not God's kind of love. The world's love is more of a selfish love. The world's love is more of a get what you can as long as you can and, and whatever makes you feel good. And, and the true love, that, the love that is selfless and goes towards others, the God kind of love, which is not what can I get but what can I give, 
that love is growing cold. Jesus said in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And we are growing colder and colder that we are forgetting how to really love and how to love selflessly. Because our culture, our society is geared towards teaching us how to be selfish and how to get everything we desire. Look at any advertisement on TV. You deserve this. You deserve more. This will make your life better. This will make your life easier. And I'm all for making your life better and easier. But if you consider what's being constantly driven into us, it's, it's the love for self and to have it good. Whereas God's kind of love is the love that says, I'll leave heaven and come into this corrupt world so that you can have a chance to get out of this corrupt world and enter into heaven. That's the love of Jesus. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. He didn't look for a Hilton or where he could have a great comfort uh, mattress and things. I'm thankful. We just got a new bed, and it's, it's glorious. <laughs> but the idea is we're about loving others, and the world has a wrong version of that. So you want to make sure that if you want the gist of the Christian faith to get God's kind of love, and that's how do you get that? You study it. You learn it through what Jesus did and what the Word says. And also faith. The world has a different version of faith. What is faith? They say, you just got to have faith. Okay, well, faith in what? Well, they don't tell you. That. Just have faith. You'll get through it. Just have faith. Faith in what? We have to place our faith in an object. And even though the question might come, faith in what? The world is placing their faith in something, even though they don't know what it is. Placing their faith in science. Placing their faith in in luck or chance or whatever, that's not going to get you through. I had students in China tell their, their battle cry was, I believe in myself. Well, you need to believe in yourself to an extent because you have the image of God and you, you can make it if you put some effort into it. But you can't save yourself and you can't control things out there in the world and, and you certainly can't get your sins forgiven by your good works. All our Righteousness is as filthy rags, according to Isaiah 64, 6. There's nothing good that we can do to produce salvation. Or, you know, we can get a little bit better than the next person. But, you know, Michael Jordan plays better basketball than Rick Bell here. (laughs) But neither of us can jump and touch the sky. We both fall short, and everyone falls short of the glory of God. We need to have faith that someone has paid the price for us, and that someone is Jesus. So Paul said, who is sufficient? None of us is sufficient. But the freeing thing is that Jesus is sufficient, and he's offered himself to us. That's where we place our faith, and that's the gist of the Christian life, love and faith. But it's not just blind love and faith. Philemon had it towards the Lord Jesus and towards the saints. They go together. First, it's towards Jesus. And, uh, you know, we've been talking, uh, there's... There's an idea out there that it's we're Christians, we follow Christianity. We're not about a system of beliefs. There is a system of belief called Christianity. But it's not that we love Christianity, we love the person of Christ. And this is, a, this is an important truth, because a lot of people out there in the cultural Christian world look like Christians and talk like Christians up until a certain point, but then it's just the rest of the world. There's no obvious love for Jesus when you're disobeying and going contrary to everything that Jesus came and once said that we need to be about. If we're following Christ, we love him. It's not a chore, but it's a desire. It's, a, it's something we want to see happen in our lives, and so we do that. But there's a lot of cultural Christianity. I've talked to people. I say, are you a Christian? Well, I'm a Baptist. Or, uh, 
No, I said, are you a Christian? Well, I'm a Methodist. I'm an Episcopal. Oh, yeah, I go to this church. They have a love for a label more than a love for Jesus Christ. Or they have a love for their morals and values. You know, I, I'm voting conservative. Well, great. There's a lot of pagans out there that's going to vote conservative, too. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, people just basing things on their works. And again, that's not good enough. But then their morals and values stop at a certain point. If we love Jesus, we want all of his values, all of his morals. And it's not just about being moral people. It's about being people united with the divine and holy one and walking in his ways and establishing his kingdom on earth, waiting for his return when it will be fully manifested. God, we're in process right now. That's more than just a, a love for which church I go to or what I believe as far as morals and values. And then there are those that love their theology. Oh, I'm a Dallas graduate. Well, be proud of that. That's fine. But don't just be proud of that. I'm a Calvinist. Okay, you can argue Calvinism on the Internet, but I don't want to argue with you. Uh, it's not your theology. It's not the orthodoxy. Well, this is an orthodox for you. What you said is a little bit out there. Well, we need to keep ourselves in line. We don't want to stray. We don't want to be in falsehood. But the idea is the person of Jesus. I'm not telling you to get rid of morals and values. I'm not telling you to get rid of theology. I'm not telling you to get rid of being a Baptist or Methodist or Episcopal or evangelical free person. It's just that those are all secondary and things like that. It's the person of Christ. It's a love for him. And that makes all the difference between cultural Christianity and true Christianity. You know, and, and you give a better fragrance and aroma when you love the person of Jesus, and people will notice. When we were in China, we, we were there in the early years back in 95, and being there for two years, we started to get hungry for some Western food. All it was was Chinese food, and it was great food over there where we were. It was great Chinese food, but it's like, I really wanted a burger. <laughs> and so there were some places at that time that had uh, Western wannabe restaurants, and they said Western food on the outside, and there might be a picture of a glorious burger. And I said, look, there's, there's, there's a hamburger. Let's go. Let's check it out. And so I remember one of the places we went to, they gave us a little menu, and there was a picture of a beautiful burger on this menu. And so when they came, so what do you want? I pointed to that. And when they brought it out, it wasn't quite what the picture was showing. <laughs> I mean, it was like two pieces of toast, and the Chinese bread that was toasted was sweet bread. They didn't have bread other than sweet bread at that time. So this was sugary toasted bread. There was a piece of goat cheese and a pork slab pork blubber, whatever it was, and tomato paste on top of it. Not ketchup, but tomato. And here, enjoy your Western meal. And I would ask my students at the time, does anyone here like Western food? They all said no. I said, well, go figure. <laughs> You're not getting the real deal. And the same with Christians. You know, If we love Jesus and we are fueled by love and faith, that is the real deal. And it tastes so much better. It smells so much better. So uh, several years later, McDonald's came and opened up in our city in China. And it just made all... When, I, when we saw the new McDonald's that was open, they had lines going around the court. Everybody was lining up for, for McDonald's. And what a difference it made having a real burger. And you say, McDonald's? Oh, man, that was real gourmet stuff for us over there. <laughs> I know it's not here, but actually I think they're pretty good when they're good. They're not always good. 
But that's what I'm saying. The Chinese loved it. When, when they got the real taste, the real thing, it was, it was like we're talking about a sweet aroma, a, a sweeter taste. And, and that's being a Christian. And that's going to make, you know, and how can you not love other brothers and sisters? He had a love towards the saints. And uh, I met a guy in a music store once, and I was telling him I was a Christian. He said, oh, I'm a Christian too. I said, oh, really? Where do you go to church? He said, well, I don't go to church. I said, well, why not? He said, well, I love God, but, you know, it's his people I have a problem with. <laughs> and I understand that. I, I mean, he, might, he may have been burned. He may have been had a bad experience. And there are hypocrites in church, but guess what? There's hypocrites in the workplace. There's hypocrites in school. There's hypocrites wherever you go. But you can't let counterfeits take away your love for the real thing. No one's going to throw away their money because there's counterfeit bills out there, right? And I wanted to tell him, but I didn't. I wanted to tell him 1 John 4.20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he, ha- who he has seen? How can he love God who he has not seen? And Jesus himself said, They will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So I understand there are some people who are difficult to love. But generally speaking, if you are walking in love and faith towards Jesus, you're going to have love and faith towards the saints. And even those people who are difficult, that's an opportunity for you. It's an opportunity for you to have some vision for what they can be, not what they are, and that you can practice having grace. We want to be like Jesus. We want to grow as disciples when there's a what someone says, a sandpaper person. Does anyone have a sandpaper person in your life? Rubs you the wrong way, and yet they're a Christian. They love the Lord. That's for you to learn how to grow in grace. And you can love them just for that. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to grow in grace. And then when you love, if you can actually overcome and love the person, maybe they'll change a little. It's love that changes people. It's not the, rah, 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 and, uh, the oh, I wish they'd do something. And, but actually, you can be an influence on the very person who is influencing you the wrong way by being the example and loving the Lord. So some of you may say, well, you know, you're talking about love and faith and all that, and I just don't do very well. I love Jesus, and I love others, but I just have a hard time expressing it. And again, I'm saying it's not how much you have. It's what you have, how to make it effectual. And that brings us to the key verse here that I want to look at, verse 6. It says that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. This is an incredible verse if you think about it. Let's look at the word communication. In the Greek, the word for communication, koinonia, koinonia, I said it correctly. I'm not always sure. But the important thing is not saying it correctly, but understanding what it means. It means fellowship. It's what the word for fellowship, but it's even a broader meaning than that. It's fellowship. It's partnership. It's benefaction. That means there's benefit coming from it. There's, it's communion. It's participation. So when we're talking about the communication of our faith, we're talking about the transfer or the transmission of our faith. You know, what radio station is transmitting what? What are we transmitting from our life? What are we? What's coming forth from us? And again, I, I like the 
the metaphor of the fragrance. What kind of fragrance is, is coming from us? What kind of, peop, what kind of uh, thing is, are people participating in when they're around us? Do they, do they sense life? Do they sense the goodness of God? And then the word effectual means active or operative, powerful. So you've got these two things, and it's not just for other people. It's for yourself, too. How do you get the communication of your faith to be active, operative, powerful in your life? And in this case, in this, in this verse, it's by acknowledging every good thing which is in you. Oh, now, wait a minute, Paul. No, sorry, Paul. You know, you said that there's nothing good in us. In the book of Romans, there's nothing good in us. No, not one. There's nothing, nothing good in us. But he says, nothing good, that is, in my flesh. So, yes, there's nothing good as far as your flesh goes. But remember, when you've placed your faith in Christ Jesus, something happened. There is a spiritual change that takes place. And this is the game-changing truth that the Lord God changed your spirit. He changed you. And you say, well, what changed? I didn't change. My, I still do the dumb things in the flesh. I still have the same difficult thoughts. Yes, but you are a threefold person, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit got born again. Your spirit got renewed, changed, made into the very likeness and image of Christ. It is Christ in you by his spirit dwelling in you. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And that's what he's talking about. But we have been trained traditionally, just to always look upon the bad, to hold on to the rotten. And that's really living in the flesh. We're not paying attention to what's happened in the Spirit. What's happened in the Spirit is you've received forgiveness for sins. You've received the fruit of the Spirit. You've received His righteousness. You've received His love. You have the gift of faith. You have His patience, His peace, His joy. Himself, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe that Christ dwells in you? Well, if he dwells in me, why, why don't I act differently? Because you're paying attention to the flesh and you're thinking on outward things. You're not living by faith in what God has done through the gospel. And instead of measuring all that stuff, all the junk that's so apparent to us, we need to believe that God is... Uh, accepting us, loving us, regardless of our failures. He doesn't love us more when we succeed, and he doesn't love us less when we fail. And the gospel invites us, it requires us, actually, to believe that God loves you regardless of how you are doing, and even regardless of your sins. And that's a dangerous thought. Does that mean we can just go on sinning? Well, I must have communicated something properly because that was the question that came up to Paul. Paul said it in Romans 6. If you're presenting the gospel correctly, that, that question is going to come up. Can we keep sinning? But, of course, the answer is no. But it's, it's because you've got to know that's not who you are. And that's, you can read that in Romans 6. That's not who you are. You are a different creation now. You've been changed. And so the good news is, is that you're not a miserable wretch, rotten person, even though you mess up all the time, perhaps. And a lack of knowledge of who you are in Christ and what he has done is quite often the blame for a lack of fruit in our lives. If we can get to acknowledging the good, this is a, a gospel faith. You say It's not just saying, think positively about yourself. He changed you. 
We're going to quickly wrap this up. 1 Corinthians 6.11 shows you what kind of changes you've been through. It is all past tense. The verse before talks about all the unrighteous deeds that we were involved in. And such were some of you. You were idolaters and adulterers, etc. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Those are past tense things. It's not you are being washed and you are being sanctified, you are being justified. It's all past. Your history does not affect your future the way you have been holding on to it. A lot of people say, I'm just a, I can't shake what happened in the past. But your history has been changed. Your history has become his story. And his story is that you're washed. Well, I feel so dirty. You were washed in the Old Testament in the law, any unclean, you were unclean if you touched mold, if you were around germs or whatever, you could wear the wrong clothing, it would make you unclean. There was no way to keep clean. And even today, but we have been washed. It's the blood of Jesus that has washed us, and that's our story. Sanctified, we've been set apart. We've been set apart for the Lord and changed, justified, just as if I never sinned. That's what justified means. And so it's all a past tense. And that's what faith is. Again, I told you faith, the world says you got to have faith. Faith in what? We have faith in something that has happened. That something is the cross. That something is the resurrection. That something is the new birth. And in those three, you've been washed, sanctified, Justified In Romans, he takes it further. Romans 8, uh, 29 talks about how you've been glorified already. Well, I don't feel glorious. I don't look glorious. It's faith. You believe that this is, this is the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. Don't hold on to the bitterness, the bad things. Don't hold on to the frustration. Don't hold on to the anxiety, the depression the residual things in your life that keep haunting you and coming back up and telling you you're never going to make it. You don't have to make it. You're free. Jesus has made it for you. And when you acknowledge that and his change that has come into your life, it changes your life. It refreshes you. And again, I'm not just giving you positive thinking, although it's very positive. I'm giving you gospel thinking. Positive thinking is you're wonderful, you're great, you're amazing. But all of this is acknowledging every good thing in you in Christ. We have to remember in Christ. None of this applies if you're not in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, it's very simple to be in Christ. It's just a turning to him and saying, I'm in. Get yourself in Christ. That way, this is gospel thinking. It's not positive thinking, the power of positive thinking, although there's power in that. This is gospel thinking. And that's what we need more of, don't we? We need more gospel thinking. We think so much on the doom and gloom of the world, and the, we get caught up in law and the legalism, and we've got to do better. If I don't read my Bible today, God's going to be angry. That's not gospel thinking. That's legalistic thinking. Gospel thinking is Jesus paid it all, and it's all taken care of. And even that mess up I just had, all taken care of. And you know, when you get free with this, you start to love him more and you have more faith, and that you'll just start to change and become a stronger disciple. And uh, as, as 
one of my favorite teachers talks about, says it's more by accident than on purpose. It's more by accident that you grow holy when you're free and you're thinking gospel truth. And that refreshes you. And so the final verse in Philemon is that Paul said, for you, for you have refreshed. We have great joy and consolation in, in thy love because the vows of the saints are refreshed by you, brother. We, if we want to be refreshing, we've got to be refreshed. But this is the sign of a Christian who's growing. A Christian who's growing is a giver and not a taker, a receiver. Immature Christians, like the immature babies in the world, it's all about receiving. Feed me, feed me, feed me. I want, I want. What can you do for me? Give me, give me, give me. This doesn't satisfy me. I'm out of here. You know, and we all have that to a degree. But if we're growing, we become more mature as we grow. It's about giving. What can I do for you? How can I be a refresher more than how can I be refreshed? But the secret is the more you refresh, the more refreshment it comes back on you. So as we grow in Christ, we want to be givers. We've got an opportunity now to give and uh, help this school, and it's not just financially. We want to know how we can give and be a part of refreshing this community, refreshing other believers, and being the fragrance to those who need to smell something good in our day and age and time. And that we can do, according to this passage, by love and faith and by acknowledging every good thing that is in us. It doesn't mean you ignore the bad. You deal with that, but you don't park there. Remember, uh, we talked about that last week. Where are you parking? You can recognize the bad easily. Every day you get a chance to recognize the bad. And you don't deny it. You deal with it, but you don't park there. And if you can't deal with it, you, you give it to the Lord. You say, there it is, Lord. Thank you. You've dealt with this. It's always throw it back on the Lord. And the more you do that, the more it gets taken care of. But... I'm saying don't park there. Yeah, but I have this and this horrible thing in my past. Your history is becoming his story. Let him lead you. And everything changes the moment you decide that. You don't have to wait and get better. You don't have to wait for circumstances to change. It's just a matter of your heart set. What are you tuning into now? Are you tuning into all that junk and staying on that station? Or are you bypassing that station going to the gospel station? Amen.